Shalom. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I am Shmuley Yanklowitz, President and Dean of Valley Beit Midrash. Here at VBM, we strive to bring you only the highest quality of Jewish learning. Bringing pluralistic and innovative Jewish programming to the Jewish community that craves substance and insight is our passion. But we cannot do it alone. To support our endeavors, please consider donating a tax-deductible contribution to our organization. By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and all over the world. Please visit www.valleybatemadrash.org. Thank you so much and enjoy the program. I'm here today with Moby, who's an American musician, songwriter, singer, producer, and animal rights activist. To date, he's sold over 20 million records worldwide as the author of four books. Moby, thank you for taking time to talk today. My pleasure. So to start, you know, we're in a very fateful moment in America. And um, those of us committed to animal rights, how should that commitment inform our voting um, and our civic engagement uh, in general? Well, it's tricky. I mean, because also... To be clear, you and I are speaking before the election, and I don't know if you're going to be posting this after the election. Before the election. Oh, okay, then I will, because otherwise <laughs> it almost, it'd almost be like we'd have to shoot two separate ones depending on who the winner is. Um, but I mean, from my perspective, and I assume for you, for quite a lot of people, what originally drew me to the cause of animal rights was my love for animals. And then from that, I sort of just simply developed this idea that, you know, it's almost the golden rule that, you know, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you, applied to all sentient beings. But then the more I learned about, you know, the impact of animal agriculture on climate change, on antibiotic resistance, on cancer, diabetes, obesity, heart disease, rainforest deforestation, ocean acidification, I realized that almost no industry is destroying our capacity to lead good lives and to be healthy in a sustainable way more than animal agriculture. So that's from my perspective like all of our choices should be informed by that because you know actions have consequences and if we keep i don't know acting in a way and making choices that destroy us and destroy the only home we have that's self-destructive that's asinine it, i mean i it's it's hard to even process that as a species we would continue to do that yeah yeah so, so how much do you see this, the type of change that has to happen coming from a legislative approach, which of course is necessary, versus kind of a spiritual education process of empathy and of awakening? I mean, what do, what do you think ought to be the central path towards change? Well, that's such a great question because in a perfect world, we would just rely on people to have spiritual awakenings that would result in broad systemic change. But then we look at like, for example, at past precedent, like the civil rights movement, you know, there were people arguing that we should not legislate civil rights, that we should wait for people to just have that spiritual awakening you're talking about. Thank God, literally, legislators ignored that and they legislated civil rights. And as a result, the legislation led that awakening, you know, and like, 
and the two oftentimes go hand in hand. I mean, you look at like same sex, like marriage equality is the same thing. It's like once something's legislated, it seems like it enables an awful lot of people to then catch up, you know, to conform their spiritual awakening with something that has now been enshrined in legislation. And I feel like the use of animals for human purposes will have to follow the trajectory established by those precedents. Yeah, yeah, very well said. So those who identify in the camp of spiritual but not religious, it's easy to unite around this type of work. Now, but what do you see as the potential for interfaith collaboration? Do you view faith groups as independent channels with their own languages and rules and systems, and they should all just operate in their channels as well as they can? Or do you think there is potentiality for interfaith collaboration on the animal rights uh, front? I mean, from my perspective, the question largely comes down, and I don't want to be too academic, but like benign versus pernicious tribalism. Mm -hmm. um, in some instances, obviously, tribalism can be this wonderful legacy that can be celebrated, that can reinforce really healthy mores and, you know, good morality, good ethics. In other cases, as we see too often, tribalism is just an excuse for violence and provincialism. Um, and it's interesting, I, I saw this a long time ago in my own family, because I have a very strange family. Half of my family is Jewish, half of my family is not. And I had a period when I was around 19 years old, when I became a very almost like evangelical Kierkegaardian Christian. And around this same time, my uncle Joseph, who comes from a long line of Argentinian rabbis, became quite sort of, uh, let's say like rigid in his beliefs as well. And we had a lot of arguments. And at some point I just realized like, since when should spirituality and religion in any way divide people? You know, like, I mean, I know that's a very self-evident thing to say, but like, I just don't see assuming whoever, whatever people choose to believe as a God, as a divine entity, like, I just don't see tribalism playing into God's plan for the world. Right. And so to that end, I find like interfaith to be so inspiring. You know, when you see, especially around animal agriculture, about, around environmentalism, around human rights, you know, because the, the core of almost all religions, my understanding from sort of comparative religious study, is, you know, a degree of humility, respect, and working towards a bet, you know, a better world for all. Totally. And of course, interfaith can accomplish that far more than people of different faiths beating each other up and killing each other and arguing with each other on Facebook. You know, like all that, that's just, that's the devil's work as far as I'm concerned. You know, like anything that divides people and causes destruction of God's creation, that's, that's not divine. Totally. Right. It's so well said. It's so well said. The notion that religion can be used to divide, um, you know, and I, if I had to, if I had to lay out as you just did so inspiringly, what ought to be the center of, of, all, of all faiths, what, what it means to be a religious person. 
it is this humility, as you touched upon, to understand there is a oneness, there's an interconnectedness, there's an interdependence, and an empathy and responsibility that emerges from that oneness and interconnectivity. And uh, the idea that faith groups can use an idea of God to divide and diminish is so uh, such a perversion of, um, of, of any spiritual truths. And um, I understand how seductive it can be. Yeah. You know, like, right. trust me, I want to judge everyone. I want to, I want to spend my days filled with hate and judgment. You know, that's, I mean, as, which is the world we live in. Like so many people live in that place of hate and judgment, but I have to remind myself, it's sort of based on a quote I heard from Jane Goodall once. And she was sort of, I'm paraphrasing. She basically said like, and also Einstein sort of said this, like either everything is the product of the divine or nothing is, you know, like that's, that's just basic sort of teleological logic, I think. Yeah. And so that idea of like, when I look at the person and I want to judge them and I want to hate them, I have to remind myself like, oh, the God that I love, you know, the divine entity that I seek to connect with created that. Right. You know, who am I to hate and judge divine creation? Right. Even if I disagree with it, even if I hate their actions, I have to remind myself, like, if I'm in awe of a rainforest, if I'm in awe of a baby animal, if I'm in awe of a redwood, all those things proceed from the divine, from my perspective, I have to equally challenge myself to respect and be in awe of humans, even when I can't stand what they're doing. I love it. I love it. And um, since you brought up teleology, I mean, the, the idea that everything is created for its, with its own purpose, not just as a means to my fulfillment, right? Standing on its mm -hmm. own. And your point about judgment, that we, should, we can flip judgment into a spirit of curiosity. How instead of, instead of judging, do I ask a question? So here's one last question for you. Um, with, uh, you know, in that spirit of curiosity, how, how do you think this pandemic is influencing, uh, affecting creativity? You might say how it's affecting creativity for you or in general, in the world of arts and culture, in the world of ethics, in the world of self-understanding, spiritual growth, how do you see this affecting creativity and growth right now? I mean, in a way, you could almost say there's a quantitative element and a qualitative element. Um, the quantitative aspect is simply a lot of creative people are spending a lot more time at home being able to create, maybe not able to perform, but in a way like as a musician, when I go on tour, I'm not being creative. I'm playing music I've already made. And so a lot of musicians really desperately want to go back on tour, but in the meantime, they're at home writing music. You know, painters are at home painting. Um, theoreticians are at home theorizing. Uh, philosophy professors are at home thinking. Like it's, so in a way, I'm sorry that so many people are suffering through this pandemic, but I do think the creative fruits of this apocalypse are gonna be pretty potentially staggering. You know, I mean, think of like, I read something somewhere that Isaac Newton, one of the reasons he was so prolific is because he was living in a time of plague. Yeah. And so there are all these periods where he had to stay home and think and write and hike because he couldn't really interact with human beings. Yeah. So I'm cautiously hopeful that that will be 
the the case with this pandemic. Yeah. Always insightful. Moby, thank you for this time and for, um, for all your great work. Oh, thank you. It was really nice talking with you.